0: Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith ministry once again. Thank you for joining me as we look at another sea change taking place in society. But first, let me thank you for your support for Keep the Faith as I have been recovering from my illness. It is good to be back. It is a privilege to be able to send you the CD preachers once again. And I look forward to many more sermons calling God's people to get ready for the coming of the Lord as long as time shall last. And I have strength and abilities. We are seeing major changes in our world that will take us to the end of time. We thank the Lord for his goodness so far, but in the future... He will have to bring his hedge of protection around us more tightly as he withdraws his protection from the cities and from the people who are in rebellion. There will be even more deadly viruses that attack and more devastating earthquakes and other disasters that will take the lives of millions. There will be destructive war, and deep famine, and profound confusion. The fear and desperation will exceed the fear of the coronavirus by far. We need a walk with Christ that has developed already when these things occur, not just a last-minute emergency relationship. So I hope you are getting armored up by putting on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and making yourself ready for the fight of your life that will surely come. What is that fight? The fight is to trust Jesus completely even for your daily bread amid the crisis of the last days. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the Bible, which gives us light about the kingdom of heaven and reveals what is to come. We have the concepts. Now let us act upon them ourselves and for our families. And thank you for the reality that eternal life is in reach of all. But it comes by faith, and we are so prone to lacking faith when it is really needed. With the time of trouble that is almost here, even at the door, it is necessary that our faith needs to have an unbreakable hold on you. Please give us that faith. And please be with us today as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. We have analyzed the coronavirus for two months. We now turn our attention to a formidable movement that is just under the surface and which we must watch as it builds and grows. But let me caution you. If you are not in harmony with heaven, that is your first work. Find a way, no matter what you have to do, to bring your life into line with God's plan. Don't be distracted by things that are not the central truth for this time. The three angels' messages. Don't get involved in speculative things, like who and what is the Holy Spirit, or do we need to keep the Jewish feasts, or veiled points of prophecy, like the 2520. Ask yourself, what do the people need to hear right now? What do they need for salvation? It is the three angels' messages, my friends, which is Christ and his righteousness. The people out there in the world are desperate for light to illumine the gross darkness around them. Many of them are fearful and do not know where to turn for understanding of our times. Do we feed them with these offbeat things that are not going to lead them to the foot of the cross, or that they cannot understand? Spend your time learning the message for this hour, the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. They are a summary of the whole Bible, and they are the message designed to get you ready for the coming of the Lord in glory. The enemy would also love to get you distracted on videos and questions of little importance. Who did it? Or who manipulated it? You know, people think this coronavirus was planned. It was a bioweapon, they say, or it was Dr. Fauci himself that sent the deadly virus to the lab in China, etc. These questions may have some truth in them, or maybe not, but they are not important. What is important is the principles God has given his people to live by in his word. That's how you're going to survive. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4, four. There is no safety in the knowledge of who did it, but there is safety in the knowledge and will of God if we follow it. Spend your time getting to know the message that is vital for this time. Follow all the counsel of the Lord. There are all manner of conspiracies in the world, but the only one that deserves our attention is the conspiracy of the enemy to distract you from what is really important, your salvation. Our mission at Keep the Faith is to bring you that message day after day, month after month, year after year, and we don't have many more years anymore. We may not have many months either. I pray you are with me in preparing for the fight of your life when your conscience will be trampled underfoot by governments and people who have no idea what they are doing to the spiritual rights and freedoms of the people. There are important prophetic lessons to be learned from the virus pandemic, and today we are going to see if we can see what they are, or at least some of them. Revelation 13 pictures two beast powers, which symbolically represent the papacy and the United States. These two beasts are in league with each other and work to make the whole world worship the first beast, or the papacy. What does this worship entail? This worship involves the whole world. Rulers and people pay homage to the beast that has the dragon or Satan supporting it. It also means that the whole world gives allegiance to Satan. He has provided a false system of worship and a false day of worship that is opposed to God's specific instructions found in the Ten Commandments and is opposed to everything God has created for man's peace and happiness. Let's read it, starting with verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth And them that which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. All the power of the first beast is referring to persecuting power. America, therefore, is to become a persecuting power, or maybe even more so than the papacy. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live." So the United States is going to deceive the whole world into thinking that God is on her side by being able to do signs and wonders. She will point to the papacy as having the true worship and will require all people to worship on her day, Sunday, by law, known as the National Sunday Law or the Universal Sunday Law. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. These terrifying times are just before us. Sunday laws are where this is headed. This enforced worship is in conflict with God's word, and the miracles are just to enforce the deception that God is behind the movement. Listen to this statement. It is from the book Education, page 179. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women in, of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element, and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. This is bigger and more overwhelming than you think. When you have a nation or a society that is fear-driven and their lives are threatened, people will do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do to be safe. And those things are inevitably a threat to God's people. Most people don't even see it coming. If God's people sleep much longer, they will be hit by the overwhelming surprise which will surely come. Leaders will feel they have a license to forcefully take away liberties from those who are in their jurisdictions because it is an emergency. They take away even religious liberty, all in order to make the people feel safe. There are plenty of emergencies these days, and more serious ones just around the corner. But where is real safety? It is under the amazing protection of the Almighty found in Psalm 91. But people don't want that invisible protection. They want the protection they can see and feel. They want the protection that political leaders give them, which isn't really protection at all. They want protection that the military gives them. They want protection that the health care system gives them. They want economic protection that the welfare system gives them. But they aren't seeking the protection of God, which is the really true protection. Strange things are happening in this world. What was once protected is no longer protected. Religious liberty is just as expendable as other liberties due to the need to keep people safe. Here's an example. People in New Jersey have been getting arrested just for practicing their faith. On March 15, people were arrested and charged because they attended an Orthodox Jewish funeral service. Police in Lakewood Township near the Jersey Shore were called to a residence at approximately 6.30 p.m. on a tip from an anonymous caller who reported the large gathering. Officers found 60 to 70 people gathered for a funeral. In violation of Governor Phil Murphy's stay-at-home Order banning social gatherings. Here is what Governor Phil Murphy said about the U.S. Constitution's Bill of Rights and an interview on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. During the interview, Tucker Carlson got straight to the point. He wanted to know why people were being arrested for simply practicing their faith. After all, the right to worship is and peacefully assemble is a right protected and guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. Carlson posed one simple question, one that Governor Murphy repeatedly avoided throughout the rest of his interview. By what authority did you nullify the Bill of Rights in issuing this order? How do you have the power to do that? Governor Murphy's reply was very telling. That's above my pay grade, Tucker. I wasn't thinking about the Bill of Rights when we did this. That is a chilling response. The governor issued a statewide order that clearly violates the Constitution. And he doesn't even give it a second thought? Nowhere in the Constitution... Our governors granted authority to disregard the Bill of Rights, not even the President. But they do it all the time when there is a so-called emergency. Tucker asked this question at least three times. Each time, the New Jersey governor gave reasons as to why he issued the mandate, not by whose authority he ordered it. Governor Murphy cited scientific reasons and said he had the support of different religious leaders throughout the state, but he never did give a clear, direct answer to Carlson's questions. There is a lot to think about in this. Didn't the religious leaders urge him to think about the First Amendment? Which religious leaders supported him? Will religious leaders forget the First Amendment Two, when in an emergency that involves a Sunday law? So here's lesson number one. When a national emergency manifests itself, rulers don't think about the constitutional rights of the people. Rights are the first casualties. We need to remember and think twice before we assume that leaders are immune from this and will protect, our rights. They won't. While I'm not suggesting that citizens should defy government orders so long as they don't violate the conscience, leaders of government should think about the rights guaranteed in the U.S. Constitution and at least take steps to lessen the impact of the burden restrictions impose on the religious liberties of the people. My point is liberties, particularly religious liberty, is disregarded in a flash when there is an emergency. Governor Murphy, who is Catholic, wasn't thinking of the rights of the people as he issued his executive order. To me, this also tells us plainly and obviously how government officials are going to think when there is an emergency that seems to require Sunday laws, and they will issue decrees or executive orders to enforce their wishes. Listen to this from Last Day Events, page 132. To secure popularity and patronage, legislators will yield to the demand for a Sunday law. By the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy in violation to the law of God, our nation will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. In a really strange turn of events, on March 30, to slow the spread of coronavirus, the Quebec premier, François Legault, announced that all shops, including grocery stores, will be closed on Sundays, except gas stations, convenience stores, pharmacies, and takeout from restaurants so that workers can get some rest. He also called for unity to win the battle against the virus. While you may think this is natural, that is what the Roman Catholic Church wants you to think. The leaders wouldn't close on Saturday, God's rest day, to get some rest, would they? No. Sunday is the go-to day for anything that involves a day of rest. Do you see where the trend is moving? In fact, it is already there. Notice the premier calls for unity in regard to a Sunday blue law in order to defeat this unseen enemy. Here is lesson number two. Sunday is already on the minds of some leaders, maybe many. Calls for unity around a decree that involves a day of rest will make the day seem more important and significant when the whole population has rallied around the decree. Will there be calls for unity around a Sunday worship law at the end of time to defeat a perceived enemy? This is a secular power, the province of Canada, which is promoting a principle that Rome has advocated since the fourth century in opposition to God's law. From the Great Controversy, page 574 we read royal edicts general councils and church ordinances sustained by secular power were the steps by which the pagan festivals attained its position of honor in the christian world the first public measure enforcing sunday observance was the law enacted by constantine ad 321 This edict requires townspeople to rest on the venerable day of the sun but permitted countrymen to continue their agricultural pursuits through virtually a heathen statute. It was enforced by the emperor after his nominal acceptance of Christianity. The royal mandate not proving a sufficient substitute for divine authority Eusebius, a bishop who sought the favor of princes and who was a special friend and flatterer of Constantine, advanced the claim that Christ had transferred the Sabbath to Sunday. Not a single testimony of the Scriptures was produced in proof of the new doctrine. Eusebius himself unwittingly acknowledges its falsity, and points to the real authors of the change. All things, says he, whatever that it was duty to do on the Sabbath, these we have transferred to the Lord's day. But the Sunday argument, groundless as it was, served to embolden men in trampling upon the Sabbath of the Lord. All who desired to be Honored by the world, accepted the popular festival. Here's lesson number three Laws or decrees that involve something that is unfamiliar to the people or unconstitutional are slowly implemented and gradually enforced, they don't happen all at once. This gives the people time to get used to it and not to feel the full impact all at once. The people wouldn't accept these laws except by gradual implementation. But the principle is that they never go back to where they were. Like the measures implemented after 9-11, the world had changed and would never be the same again we still have indefinite detention, torture in secret prisons, surveillance, censorship, and other tools of medieval oppression in modern society ready to use against those who run afoul of big state plans or agendas. Most people have forgotten them. Here is a statement that explains what is really happening behind the scenes. God has pulled back the curtain and has shown his people what to expect. He gives advanced warnings so his people can get prepared. It's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 452. God has revealed what is to take place in the last days. May be prepared to stand against the tempest of opposition and wrath. Those who have been warned of the events before them are not to sit in calm expectation of the coming storm, comforting themselves that the Lord will shelter his faithful ones in the day of trouble. We are to be as men waiting for their Lord, not in idle expectancy, but in earnest work with unwavering faith. It is no time now to allow our minds to be engrossed with things of minor importance. While men are sleeping, Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. The Sunday movement is now making its way in darkness. The leaders are concealing the true issue, and many who unite in the movement Do not themselves see whether the undercurrent is tending. Its professions are mild and apparently Christian, but when it shall speak, it will reveal the spirit of the dragon. It is our duty to do all in our power to avert the threatened danger. We should endeavor to disarm prejudice by placing ourselves in a proper light before the people. We should bring before them the real question at issue, thus interposing the most effectual protest against measures to restrict liberty of conscience. We should search the scriptures and be able to give the reason for our faith. Says the prophet, "'The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand.'" That's Daniel chapter 12, verse 10. Are you wise? Do you understand these things? Prophecy is like a beacon of light to guide you through the darkness. But if you don't notice the beacon because you are preoccupied with worldliness or with the cares of this life, you will make a shipwreck of your soul. Here is lesson number four. Look at what was done during previous crises, even recent ones, to see what to expect in the future. Here is a statement that makes this point. is found in the Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 49. The Lord is removing his restrictions on Satan's power from the earth, and soon there will be death and destruction, increasing crime, and cruel evil working against the rich who have exalted themselves against the poor. Those who are without God's protection will find no safety in any place or position. Human agents are being trained and are using their inventive power to put in operation the most powerful machinery to wound and to kill. That is ominous, my friends. Now is the time to come under God's protection. As the world economy goes into recession, when millions of people are out of work, we are likely to have civil unrest in America. Strife and confusion will be everywhere. The big cities will be affected most. So will the countryside. People will become desperate, and they will take matters into their own hands. You need God's protection now. Lesson number five. God has many ways of protecting His people that transcend human protection. He gives guidance that is the safest course to take in any situation. For instance, he says, Get out of the cities. They will be destroyed. Lot's experience is the biblical type of the last days. Jesus said to Lot and his family, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Genesis 19.17 If anyone says to you, Get out of the city. That's the voice of Jesus speaking through that person. If you obey his counsel, this is not legalism. You are actually coming under his protection. All of God's counsel is that way, whether it is his counsel on health, his counsel on finances, his counsel on marriage, or even his counsel regarding the Ten Commandments. Whatever it is, his counsel is always calculated to provide the safest course to take. Have you taken God as your counselor? If you act on his counsel in every particular, and you are in a living relationship with Jesus, you will have nothing to fear. But if you have been dragging your feet to obey, and you have thought that you will have opportunity to make an escape with plenty of additional warning, you will find that it is impossible. Think about Lot and the destruction of Sodom. Did he have much advance warning? He only had one night. A lot of prominent pastors call for prayer to defeat the virus. For instance, Franklin Graham said during an interview on Fox News at the beginning of Easter week, This pandemic is the result of a fallen world, a world that has turned its back on God. He said, I don't think it's God's plan for this to happen. It's because of the sin that is in the world. Man has turned his back on God. We have sinned against him and we need to ask for God's forgiveness. Fox News also had an interview with Robert Jeffress, pastor of a large megachurch in Dallas. He is on the president's council for reopening the churches. He said the president believes that both worship and work are essential American activities, and we need to get back to both. Paula White, known as the President's Pastor, said, We even see in the book of Numbers a very different situation. There was a prayer that stopped the plague. Now the plague is different. It was a plague of rebellion, but no less it was still a plague. You see it in Numbers 16. And I believe in the same way. If we call on God Almighty to divinely intervene, just as he does so many times, that the plague can be stopped, she said. Notice that Paula White is suggesting that the virus is a result of rebellion. She is calling for leaders to repent of the national sins and lead the nation back to God. Listen to what she said. When the plague hits, watch what happens to real leaders. Real leaders don't stand back and watch and say, Oh, good, and say, Oh, well, this is what's deserved. Real leaders fall on their face for all the people. She is saying political leaders need to repent for all the people. Paula was especially calling for conservative leaders to plead that the people return to God so that he will stop the plague. The government has done some wicked things because people who don't believe in God have been in power and brought in laws that have greatly increased the national sins. And there are people that stubbornly will not repent and return to God, and this will frustrate religious leaders and people who want to see changes for the better. So they will overreact and go too far. They will enact laws when the next virus pandemic, more deadly than the one we are now experiencing, comes along. And Paula is very close to the president and advises him on spiritual matters. And being a president who is basically ignorant of the Bible, he is dependent on others to tell him what it says and what it means. That's a formula for bringing on the final crisis. Kenneth Copeland called on the wind of God to blow on the virus and destroy it. I blow the wind of God on you. You are destroyed forever and you'll never be back. Thank you, God. Let it happen. Cause it to happen. Then he led a chant, surrounded by members of his church and preaching, to an empty room. He called out, Wind, Almighty, strong south wind, heat, burn this thing. In the name of Jesus, I say, you bow your knees, you fall on your face. In another sermon, He executed judgment on COVID-19, during which he declares the virus finished and over, and made the U.S. healed and well again. He also demanded a vaccination to come immediately. What is this hype? It is designed to get people reined up. But for what purpose? They want to reform the political system to make it more godly. They are advising the president and other political leaders on how to do that. They want to get everyone back to church at a time of national crisis and fear. They want the nation to be godlier by law if they can. And when a certain section of the population will not comply but instead continue in their wicked ways. This will make them even more determined to bring in laws that will force America back to God's favor. And when a worse pandemic comes, they will become bolder. So here's lesson number six. Prominent religious leaders want to have political influence so they can turn America politically Toward God. And many of their objectives are good, and many sincere people join this work. But when they have gained political influence and power, as they have with Donald Trump in office, they will, when they are pressed by an existential emergency, to go further than they should, and enact laws and executive orders that will go too far and require disobedience of God's law. Let me read again the statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 452. The Sunday movement is now making its way in darkness. The leaders are concealing the true issue, and many who unite in the movement do not themselves see whither the undercurrent is tending. Its professions are mild and apparently Christian, but when it shall speak, it shall reveal the spirit of the dragon, which is the spirit of force. Donald Trump wants to cooperate with him. Mr. Trump said in an interview about the possibility of reopening the country by Easter on Fox News, March 24, 2020, Wouldn't it be great to have all the churches full? You have packed churches all over the country. Well, that didn't happen. But nevertheless, Mr. Trump participated in a call to prayer from the Oval Office on Good Friday alongside Bishop Harry Jackson, a Pentecostal preacher from Maryland. And Mr. Pence joined a televised blessing while stressing the importance of prayer and Reflection on Easter weekend. We want to both encourage them to keep the faith and to encourage them to maintain social distancing, said a senior White House official. Donald Trump also called for a day of prayer for Sunday, March 15. In his proclamation, he made the following remarks. As your president, I ask you to pray for the health and well-being of your fellow Americans and to remember that no problem is too big for God to handle. We should all take to heart the holy words found in First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let us pray that all those affected by the virus will feel the presence of the Lord's protection and love during this time. With God's help, we will overcome this threat. As we unite in prayer, we are reminded that there is no burden too heavy for God to lift or for this country to bear without His help. Luke one thirty seven promises that for God nothing shall be impossible and those words are just as true today as they have ever been. As one nation under God, we are greater than the hardships we face, and through prayer and acts of compassion and love, we will rise to this challenge and emerge stronger and more united than ever before. May God bless each of you, and may God bless the United States of America. Here's a lesson number seven. There will be unity of political and religious leaders that will call the people to unity. They are getting used to it now. When the next deadly crisis eventuates, the unity will have been practiced and developed so that it will naturally fall in place and stronger action will be the result. Imagine where this is headed. Listen to this. On a conference call with 700 pastors, Mr. Trump assured the religious leaders that he believes we are going to come back stronger than before. I want to thank you for praying for our country and for those who are sick, the president said. You do such an incredible job, you're very inspirational people. Then he said, "I am with you all the way." If they suggest that the country needs to get back to God and needs a Sunday law, what is he going to do? It's just that the rest of the country isn't prepared for it yet." Here is a statement from the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 444. In the last conflict, the Sabbath will be the special point of controversy throughout all Christendom. Secular rulers and religious leaders will unite to enforce the observance of Sunday. Romanism in the Old World and Apostate Protestantism in the New will pursue a similar course towards those who honor the divine precepts. The citizens will demand a Sunday law. Millions of Americans believe the virus is a wake-up call from God. The Jerusalem Post ran an article that said a stunning 44% of Americans polled said they see the global coronavirus pandemic and economic meltdown as a wake-up call from God to turn back to faith in God as signs of coming judgment. Even 25% of people who self-identify as secular believe that the virus is a wake-up call to get back to f- faith in God, as did 26% of Asian Americans 40% of whites, 52% of Hispanics, and 64% of African Americans. More than one in four non-Christian young people, that's 28%, ages 18 to 29, said they are turning to reading the Bible, listening to sermons, and learning more about Bible prophecy. This is even more true of those between aged 30 and 40, of whom 36% are turning to the Old and New Testaments in this time of crisis. I don't know about you folks, but I see the writing on the wall. A few more disasters, another plague, could push this movement over the line. I have said before, everything is all being lined up. All that's needed is a few big disasters and the push will be on. So here's lesson eight. Political leaders will yield to the demands of religious leaders and people in order to stay in power, to get re-elected. They will, in a, in an emergency, decree what the religious leaders want. Here is Great Controversy, page 592. The dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying the love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. Now let us think about the lockdown for a few minutes. Mega cities from Wuhan to New York to Melbourne with millions of people were locked down. Some cities were quarantined and no one could go in or out. Social distancing and stay-at-home orders were issued so the people can be controlled and the virus could be slowed or stopped. Some people were arrested and fined for violations of these orders, but most people complied because they were afraid. Fear makes people do things they wouldn't ordinarily do. New York City Mayor de Blasio urged people to use their phones to photograph and report to authorities any business that violates social distancing orders. How do you report places that aren't enforcing social distancing? He wrote on Twitter, it's simple, just snap a photo and text it to 311692. In announcing the feature, de Blasio said all you've got to do is take a photo and put the location with it and bang, send a photo like this and we will make sure that enforcement comes right away. Notice that this is referring to business establishments. But you know that people will be the target too. If there are neighbors that don't have enough social distance, people will snitch on them too, and law enforcement will come running. Does this remind you of anything in the past? Some of you know your history of the Nazi regime that got neighbors to tattle on those who were suspected of hiding Jews, the resistance movement, and other illegal activities during World War Two. Also in medieval societies, under the control of the roman catholic church offered incentives for citizens to tattle on their neighbors to the inquisition for anything that might be suspicious that in itself created an environment of fear other countries are trying to use these tactics as well in victoria australia for instance they have a system for dobbing in or tattling on your neighborhood business or your neighbor to the police for violating social distancing rules. Penalties are often in the form of large fines. Are Western countries setting up a betrayal system to tattle on neighbors because of COVID-19? Getting your neighbors to be the secret police is Dangerous. Here's lesson number nine. You see, history repeats itself because people don't know history. We are entering an era of Big Brother controls that leads to other repressive measures like control on movement, controls on rights, controls on speech, etc. This is like the medieval system using modern technology. In New Jersey, police are using drones to find people who are not social distancing. Will they use drones to track down God's people who are not abiding by Sunday laws? Many cities around the world use cameras for various reasons, including security and tracking. Cameras have become ubiquitous in many places. They are very small and can hardly be seen or aren't noticed, and most people have no idea that they are being watched and monitored. Here's lesson number 10. Surveillance is an essential element to the oppression of God's people. Do you remember Jezebel? She had her surveillance forces out looking for the prophets of the Lord. When she found one, she killed him. See First Kings 18. Make no mistake about it. We are returning to the oppressive environment of the Nazis and a medieval feudal society. And these measures are here to stay. Mostly. All the new methods and policies after 9-11 are still with us, though many of them are dormant. And these new ones will be too when coronavirus has passed, only to come back against the spiritual foe with more power at the end of time. Here is lesson 11. This is a dress rehearsal, friends, for the final movements when God's people will be the target. When people get used to snitching on their neighbors, there will be no place that you can go to get away from it. That's when you have to fully depend on the Almighty God for protection. If you are a Sabbath keeper, the enemy is making preparations just for you. Remember that while men are sleeping, Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. The stage is being set. I used to say that there needs to be more elements in place for the final movements to take place, like a major event, a global disaster to give an excuse for religious leaders and political leaders to unite and to call people back to the church. Now everything is in place. All the elements are present. They just need to be more deeply ingrained in the psyche of the people. I say now the final movements are very near, but for a few mega disasters. Lesson 12. Protection from God comes from obedience. Friends, you can rely on the great Jehovah in every time of need. He is there for you if you will ask. If you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, eating a plant-based diet and following all the laws of health, living in the country, tilling the soil, you may not get rich, but you are out of the city. And that is of great value. The cities are death traps, and God is withdrawing his protection from them. Lesson 13. Get out of the cities. Escape for your lives. The cities will be destroyed. It is not safe to stay in them. Listen to this statement found in Evangelism, page 27. I am bidden to declare the message that cities full of transgression and sinful in the extreme will be destroyed by earthquakes, by fire, by flood. All the world will be warned that there is a God who will display his authority as God. His unseen agencies will cause destruction, devastation, and death. All the accumulated riches will be as nothingness. When the general population living in fear of something invisible, something deadly, and yet it is obvious that some people are under the protection of the Almighty, they are going to come to them and sit at their feet and learn about the Sabbath of the Lord, the health principles, the three angels' messages. You want to see that happen, don't you? The current pandemic is but a harbinger of worse things to come. Expect an escalation of disasters, both natural and man-made. Expect the large cities of this world to be the epicenters of disease and disaster. Friends, there's more to come. The end is almost here. Please follow God's counsel. Don't lose your body and soul in the coming destruction let us pray. Father in heaven, give us the courage to live in such a way as to please you and not ourselves. Give us your Holy Spirit to give us strength to make the decisions we need to make. I pray for those that are without a shelter from the storm. Please appeal to them again. Give them enough time to get ready. We want to see Jesus come, but we see so many out there in the world that aren't ready. They are not mindful of fulfilling prophecy, yet prophetic things are happening every day that tell us that prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Help us to prepare and give the final warning. In Jesus' name, amen. you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is Oh for a Closer Walk with God, sung by Melissa Collette. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Glorious Love. If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will send you one. Please mention the Glorious Love CD. Other international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month.
1: Destructive hail and a massive dust storm descend on fire-ravaged Australia. Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry News. My name is Sabrina Peterson, and I'm filling in for Pastor Mayer while he's on medical leave. Australia's southeast was already dealing with the terrible effects of historic bushfires and huge smoke clouds. Then, Canberra, Melbourne, and other places were hit by golf-ball-sized hail that destroyed car windshields, killed birds, and shredded the leaves off trees. The Bureau of Meteorology in New South Wales, the country's most populous state, warned residents of damaging winds, large, possibly giant hailstones, and heavy rainfall, as it issued severe thunderstorm warnings in the east and northeast. The storms also prompted warnings of flash floods, adding another element of risk to areas that have been hit hard by the fires. In the Australian Capital Territory, which includes the capital city of Canberra, the Weather Service reported hail Monday, measuring up to nearly two inches in diameter, accompanied by wind gusts that were near hurricane strength. The storm was intense and fast moving. The Territory's Emergency Services Agency reported receiving a record 1,900 calls for help, more than three times the average for a storm. All of those calls came in after midday, the agency said. Lucky I rode my bike today, Hillary Wardow said on Twitter, posting a video of a parking lot at the National Library of Australia, where cars' rear windshields had been smashed by hail. It was like Armageddon, basically, Wardow tells the ABC. Unbelievable. There were people running into the library, but I'm really hoping that there's no one caught out in it. The hail forced Australian National University in Canberra to close its campus for both Monday and Tuesday, saying it needed to assess damage to a large number of buildings and begin repairs. The dangerous storms came at the end of a weekend that brought a huge dust storm to Western portions of New South Wales. Another jarring twist in Australia's summer of extreme weather. Day turns into night. Australia's Bureau of Meteorology said via Twitter, as it posted video of the leading edge of a massive dust storm that was poised to engulf the town of Narromine, some 250 miles northwest of Sydney. The huge storm quickly plunged the area into darkness. Residents of Narromine and nearby communities had been looking forward to getting some much needed rain. But as the ABC reports, Those parched areas got only a sliver of rain compared with the torrents that later hit the Southeast portion of New South Wales. Recent rains have provided some relief from Australia's drought and they've helped firefighters gain new leverage in controlling dynamic wildfires. The bushfires have destroyed more than 2,600 homes since September and 28 people have died along with hundreds of millions of animals. As Australia takes stock of what it has lost in the epic fires, some forests and other important habitats might not be able to recover fully. The normal processes of recovery are going to be less effective, going to take longer, ecologist Roger Kitching of Griffith University in Queensland tells the Associated Press. He adds, instead of an ecosystem taking a decade, it may take a century or more to recover all assuming we don't get another fire season of this magnitude soon. The restraining spirit of God is even now being withdrawn from the world. Hurricanes, storms, tempests, fire, and flood, disasters by sea and land follow each other in quick succession. Science seeks to explain all these. The signs thickening around us telling of the near approach of the Son of God are attributed to any other than the true cause men cannot discern the sentinel angels restraining the four winds that they shall not blow until the servants of god are sealed but when god shall bid his angels loose the winds there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture Counsels to the church page 343 next a third crispr edited baby born in china on monday chinese state-run news agency Xinhua reported that He Jiankui, the researcher responsible for creating the world's first gene-edited babies, had been sentenced to three years in prison on the charge of illegally practicing medicine. Given that China condemned He's research almost immediately after he announced the births of the twin babies, it's not particularly surprising to hear that the researcher is being punished for his controversial experiment. But included in Xinhua's latest report was a bit of news we thought we might never hear. A third gene-edited baby has officially been born. Back in November 2018, when he first announced the existence of the gene-edited twins, he also let slip that another woman was pregnant with an additional edited embryo. In January, Stanford bioethicist William Hurlbut told news agency Agents France Press that he'd talked extensively to He about that third gene-edited baby. He believed the woman was likely 12 to 14 weeks pregnant at the time, which would make her due to give birth around June or July 2019. July came and went without any news about the third gene-edited baby, though. But now China has quietly confirmed its birth, with Xinhua reporting that He was sentenced for his experiments in which three genetically edited babies were born. The report doesn't include any additional information on the baby. We don't know its sex, its health status, whether the birth involved any complications, or if the baby is even still alive. But we do know this baby was born, meaning that at some point last year, there were not two, but three genetically engineered humans walking, or more likely crawling, the earth. Bible prophecy is fulfilling in the increase of technological and scientific capabilities in our world. Unfortunately, as this article shows, man is using his intelligence to dabble with what God has created. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Daniel 12, 4 Next, Why people are turning to astrology and tarot cards for their mental health. People who get what they truly want in life know how to walk away when something is good, but not good enough, tweeted Jessica Dorr, a licensed social worker and tarot practitioner. The message accompanied an image of the Eight of Cups tarot card, which depicts a cloaked figure walking away from eight golden cups. The tweet racked up over 14,000 likes and there are dozens of others just like it. I really needed this message today, one user replied. Thank you. Needed this, I'm scared, another wrote, but I know I need to reach for more. Spiritual practices like tarot and astrology have been around for ages, but are now becoming more prominent in wellness culture. Thanks to Twitter, trendy horoscope apps like CoStar, and a wealth of information online, It's easier than ever to research tarot, read your horoscope, and examine your birth chart. Often when people are stressed out or experiencing something negative, they want to better understand the why behind it, said Sari Chait, a clinical psychologist and the owner of Behavioral Health and Wellness Center in Newport, Massachusetts, adding that astrology and tarot readings can provide the framework for doing that, even if it is not empirically based. It's also no surprise that practices like tarot and astrology are increasingly coupled with mental health advice. Therapeutic guidance, sometimes from actual therapists, has a bigger platform thanks to social media, which has arguably made talking about and understanding mental health more possible for the general population. Plus, many people can't afford professional help or need a supplement to therapy. So they turned to the internet and social media for advice on dealing with daily stress, Dorr said. Both astrology and tarot are archetypal and use similar language to describe past, present, and future situations and emotions, Dorr said. But they are different practices. Astrology is an ancient system that uses the movement of the planets through different signs of the zodiac To help reveal how our lives may unfold," said Katie Sweetman, a consulting astrologer and the founder of Empowering Astrology. In astrology, there are 12 zodiac signs and 10 planets. The simplest and most popular component of astrology, found everywhere from print magazine to the New York Post, is a horoscope, which is a short forecast or reading based on your zodiac sign. Birth charts are more complex and claim to reveal information about your personality and tendencies based on where the planets were positioned when you were born. Tarot, on the other hand, is more visual. It's a deck of 78 cards with images that show different archetypes and symbols and situations, Dor said. A few examples include death, the sun, and the magician. These images represent the vast array of things we encounter in the human experience, she said. Most people initially gravitate toward tarot and astrology because they are fun, but the two practices may also put some on a path toward greater self-awareness. While it's important to work with a skilled professional, such as a therapist for deeper or more acute matters, astrology can be used as a personal development tool to help us understand our blocks and where we can self-sabotage. Wheatman said. By learning about your personality traits and how you tend to interact with the world, you may learn to recognize not just your strengths, but also your negative thinking or behavioral patterns. Another benefit of reading something like a horoscope is that it can remind people that their negative feelings and experiences are temporary, Chite added. This is similar to several therapeutic approaches where the emphasis is on how to understand what you are feeling or experiencing in the context of today and trying to see how things may be different in the future, including how you can contribute to making that change. She said Dor uses tarot in a similar way, pulling cards for her clients to help prompt conversations about how they're feeling and what they are dealing with in their lives. Many of us are oriented toward the external looking toward the outside world to tell us what to do Dor said, it's not necessarily intuitive for people to look inside for answers. Pulling tarot cards, however, gives people an opportunity to check in with themselves and explore their thoughts and feelings, she said. This type of self-reflection is often the first step toward improving your mental health. At the most basic level, if everyone was more in tune with themselves, their needs, wants, boundaries, strengths, and weaknesses, we'd be better partners, coworkers, and communicators not to mention more effective in our work and our interpersonal relationships," Doris said. Satan beguiles men now as he beguiled Eve in Eden by flattering, by kindling a desire to obtain forbidden knowledge, by exciting ambition for self-exaltation. It was cherishing these evils that caused his fall, and through them he aims to compass the ruin of men. You shall be as gods, he declares, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 5 Spiritualism teaches that man is the creature of progression that it is his destiny from his birth to progress even to eternity toward the Godhead and Again each mind will judge itself and not another The judgment will be right because it is the judgment of self the throne is within you said a spiritualistic teacher as the spiritual consciousness awoke within him My fellow men all were unfallen demigods. The Great Controversy, page 554.
0: Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.